0: is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrocer.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. Hey guys, Michelle here. Raise your hand if you feel like you've been doing all the things, but nothing seems to really be helping. I know you've done the mindset work. I know you've tried to get yourself and your family organized. I know you've tried to exercise and you wanna eat better, but do you still find yourself just kind of feeling blah or anxious or overwhelmed? They're still feeling really burnt out by the speed of life these days. I know, I get it, and I was right in your shoes just a few years ago. But once I learned the science behind regulating my nervous system, And I really got a handle on a few simple balancing exercises that really helped me to get out of my head, which is really hard for a lawyer to do, and into my body and shift the state of my nervous system. Guys, everything changed. Incorporating these exercises for just a few minutes a day, it's all it takes, two to five minutes. It 10x my productivity. It allowed me to be calmer, more present with my kids, increased my performance and my creativity at work. It stabilized my mood and my emotions, and it even improved my sleep. And it's not too good to be true, guys. It's what naturally flows from a balanced and well-regulated nervous system. So I want to invite you to register now for my free live virtual workshop. It's called the Calm Mom Masterclass, and I'm doing it on May 3rd at 12 p.m. Eastern. I want to teach you what it takes to rewire your brain so that you have tools Tools that work for your body to help manage your anxiety, overwhelm, and burnout. Also, you can be that calm, centered presence at home and at work. And don't worry if you can't make it to the live event, just be sure to register now, snag your C, and we'll email you the recorded replay afterward so you don't miss out. Can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Calm Mom podcast. I am so pumped for today's episode. I'm so excited to hear from, for you guys to hear from our guest, Kathy Adams. She is, how do I describe it? You guys ever meet somebody and you're just like, Oh, they get it. And they get me. And it's just so magical. That's how I felt about Kathy. She is just so special. And I wanted to just keep talking with her. And I'm believing that you guys, as you listen to this, you're just going to be so um, encouraged and inspired, just like I was. She is a clinical social worker. She co-hosts the Zen Parenting Radio podcast, along with her husband, And she's also the author of Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, and the book Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Ware Parenting, which has won a ton of book awards. She is a certified parent coach. She's a former elementary school teacher. She's a yoga teacher. Um, She even taught sociology and criminology at Dominican University. She lives in Chicago, so she has similar roots to my husband, Jeff. Um, And she lives there with her husband and their three daughters. So today we're going to talk about all sorts of things, self-awareness, mindfulness, um, connection. We talk about compassion and curiosity and relationships and parenting and just so much. You guys are going to be so, so, so encouraged by this conversation. So enjoy. Kathy, welcome to the Calm Mom podcast. So grateful for your time, your yes, your willingness to be here joining us today. Welcome. Thank you, Michelle. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So I know we're going to talk all things Zen parenting and mindfulness, some of my favorite things to talk about. But before we start, I think I'd love it if you just share with our audience a little bit about yourself. I know you're also a mom and a wife. And then anything else you want to just share with us before we kind of get going?
1: Sure. So I am a therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I started, I don't know, 20 years ago or so working with kids. I work here in Chicagoland. I worked at a hospital called Children's Memorial. Now it's been renamed Lori Children's Hospital. But I worked in psychiatry with children and obviously worked with parents as well. And then I what I recognized as I was working with kids was that kids are very, very willing to make shifts, if, especially if they're given tools or an understanding of why it could be helpful to them. If it'd be around understanding their emotions or if it'd be around understanding why something hurts someone's feelings, kids are very receptive and spongy. But what I was finding was that I worked in an inpatient unit and in a partial hospitalization unit is that kids were rotating in and out because even though they'd learned something, they would often go back to the same structure at home or the same expectations. And when I say that, it's not about me. It's not about saying so everything was the parents' fault. It was about saying that parents needed as much support as the kids did. And so I really shifted when I started having children. My oldest daughter is now 19. I have a 19-year-old daughter, an 18-year-old daughter, and a 14-year-old. When I started having kids, I really started shifting away from working with kids as much to working with parents. Mm -hmm. And I went from more crisis-oriented situations that were in like an inpatient unit to more everyday situations of how to relate to our kids, how to connect to our kids, how to communicate. And I About, I was just telling you off before we started recording that about 12 years ago, I wrote my first book called The Self-Aware Parent. And I was doing an interview with someone and they suggested that I start recording myself talking about these things. And I said, you know, I didn't know what that meant. They called it a podcast. And I said, sure, I'll start that. And I asked my husband, who's a lovely communicator. We have really fun conversations in the kitchen, you know, like we, we, Love. Not only do we love to talk about deep things like self-awareness and mindfulness, but we talk about pop culture. We have a lot of humor. So I asked my husband to join me in having these conversations. And we started Zen Parenting Radio, which has now been around for 12 years. I was just telling you that we did our 700th episode yesterday and you never run out of things to talk about. Wow. This continues on and on and on. And then last year, I wrote my another book called Zen Parenting, which was kind of an encapsulation of everything we talk about on the show. Our pillars are self-awareness, compassion, connection, and mindfulness. And there's no conversation that we've had that doesn't somehow weave in and out of those words. So I tried to put that together in a book. And now, you know, I mean, there's so many other layers to it, but that is where I will stop because that's that's kind of the essence of what I do.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I just think about podcasting that long. Like it still feels like a new medium. And the fact that you've been in it for so long is incredible.
1: Wow. It's fun. And, and, you know, the guy who, who was interviewing me at the time who suggested, he told me, he's like, this is the future. You know, this is what people are going to do. This is going to be the new blog. This is going to be the new marketing. And, and while I thought that was great and I believed him, that was never really my motivation. It was how can my husband, my husband's name is Todd. How can we have conversations every week that are Kind of fun, enjoyable, and possibly helpful to our community. Because at first, it was I just thought people in our town were listening to it. You know, <laughs> now it's become much bigger. But if you know, you just it's it's so fun to have the conversations, and then if you can help people, also that's just bonus.
0: Oh, beautiful! I love that. So you mentioned about you talked about self awareness, and mm-hmm. I think that might be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. I say a lot on the podcast, almost every episode, probably that we can't intervene in a world that we can't see. Right? Like awareness. Mm-hmm is so often, maybe even always the first step to any kind of change we want to see. So can you share this a little bit about how you maybe define or teach self-awareness, particularly in parenting, parenting, and then why it's so important?
1: Yeah. You know, the tagline to our podcast is actually the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Because when we are, and what I love about parenting really is that it is a, a door for people to actually recognize what self-awareness is because there's a lot of relationships that we have in our life, you know, you know, partnering or friendships or relationships with our parents or friends. And a lot of times that can break us open where we're willing to do some deep work. But parenting forces us mm-hmm. to do some deep work because we have to learn how to relate to our kids. We have to understand where they're coming from. And all of that begins with us.
0: Yeah,
1: What does that mean? Why do certain things trigger us? What is our history when it comes to this the issues that our children are dealing with? What are our fears? What are our belief systems? What were we taught about just the big dynamic of parenting? Do yeah. we believe parenting is a power dynamic where we're above and they're below? Do we look at it as an, a hierarchy and a, an authoritarian kind of situation? Or do we look at it as a relationship and, and connection and almost like a you know, eye to eye, soul to soul kind of experience? Like where are we relating to our kids? And the thing that is most important for people to understand about self awareness is that it's ongoing it's not i went to therapy for 2 years and i figured myself out and then now i know how to do this this is a day to day you know oh. where, where's this emotion coming from kind of experience what what set me off what am I not paying attention to what hurts? You know, that's, I think the thing that I find most from my clients is that they'll say, but I did that work. I did it. And I don't understand why this still bothers me. And the process is less about the intellectual understanding of ourselves and more about the compassionate understanding of ourselves Mm -hmm. that when this is said, or this happens, or this hurts. So then how do we, nourish ourselves, you know, nurture ourselves in that process rather than blame other people or even blame ourselves. You know, there, there's just, that's just the way it goes.
0: That's just who we are. Yeah. And it's true. There is just something about parenting. I think more than anything else that is such a mirror for so many opportunities for our own growth. I remember, you know, I was, we were married for, I don't know, eight or nine years before we first had kids. And I just remember thinking, even in our marriage, like, oh, this is so easy. Like, we've got mm. this all together. It's so fun. And that we were just going to naturally kind of flow into. It didn't really change. it sure did.
1: <laughs> sure did. I know. No, especially in marriage, when you have children, then, you know, you kind of come into it as peers. Mm-hmm. And then when you have children, you start to recognize the gender dynamics of our culture and the expectations, and it really shines a light on things that maybe you weren't forced to look at before.
0: Yes. And I think for us too, so much of what we brought into parenthood from our own experiences that just things you would never, you can talk about how you're going to parent your kids and discipline them and all of these different things, but until you're actually in it, I think a lot of times too- self-awareness, right? Like we don't even know we carry these expectations. (laughs) Nevertheless, actually communicate them to our partners. It's so wild. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And that's, and you
1: know, uh, there's, a, we have a virtual community that we work with every week. And there's a man who just joined who just, his wife is pregnant, eight months pregnant. And he's trying to figure it's their first child. And he's like, I'm trying to figure this out and have a plan and know what I'm saying and do. And, and I totally honor him because I appreciate his pre-work. Yes. And, but one thing I say to him all the time is you're not going to know till you're there. You're not, it's like all of us who, when you have your first child, you're, you have all this plan. Like I remember saying, I'm going to still go to concerts and I'm going to strap my baby on And I'm going to like, you know, not be, you know, at the mercy of a nap schedule. And come on, you know, like this, your life doesn't is no longer your own. Like, and I love when people say stuff like that, because I still honor that desire. But you can't know, you don't know how you're going to respond in a conversation till you're in it. You don't know how you'll feel about it till you're there. And that's mindfulness to me too, is let's just do right now. Let's just do right now.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so good. So I guess that brings up for me, like, if we want to be on this journey of becoming more aware as parents, maybe some people are listening and they're like, man, I feel like I'm starting to become more aware or I want to become more aware. One, where, where might be a good place to start? Like, how do I actually start doing that? Becoming more conscious of all of these opportunities. And then maybe there's parents who, as they're becoming more aware, maybe that's bringing up guilt or it's bringing up, you know, all of these sorts of things. So how do we kind of navigate that gracefully without being too hard on ourselves if we have children that you know we've 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 parented in ways that maybe aren't so aware and now we're growing into a greater awareness totally i you know the place i think that we start
1: and then we kind of cycle around the whole time as we're practicing self awareness is our emotional well-being or our emotional intelligence or our emotional agility use whatever words you want But the the thing is, is when you're in relationship with someone, especially someone as important as your child, if they're a baby, you know, if they're an infant, a toddler or a teenager, it is going to bring up a lot of emotions and not just the positive ones. And that is okay. I remember, let me just start from the very beginning when I had my first daughter and every card I was getting in the mail said, you must feel so blessed, you must feel so grateful. And actually I didn't feel that at all. I felt overwhelmed, I felt stressed. I felt like my freedom was gone. I also really loved my daughter, but these were paradoxical experiences that nobody really was telling me. And so I think just starting that you know, understanding that no matter what stage you're in, you are going to love them madly. Like I I put up this, I sent this meme to my teenagers the other day that said, you know, my favorite thing in the entire world is being with you. And my favorite thing in the entire world is being alone. Like both (laughs) things are true at the same time. Like, and this is okay. And and I think that's what I mean about emotions is if we are willing to, you know, and I'm going to use some of Brene Brown's research, but you can't just feel joyful emotions. If you are really open to an emotional expression, you are going to feel guilt. Sometimes you are going to feel pain. You are going to recognize your own wounding. And we have to have a tolerance and resilience for that too, to also experience the the highlights. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're experiencing them simultaneously where you are so joy filled and then you're terrified at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I think the messiness is to not feel that there's something wrong with you. That's That's my big message to, especially moms is sometimes it, we use a lot of words to describe us. I'm such a mess, I'm so cluttered, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what the emotions can feel like sometimes. But if you really start to put them out there, like, I'm scared. I also love my child and I really want to have something for myself too. It's like, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. Yes. This is a very normal human experience. And the more we normalize it and the more we recognize that majority of people feel that way, that's the self-compassion piece of gets common humanity. We're like, oh, this is we're not wrong. We're not doing it wrong. We're just human. And so that's emotions, you know, going back to your question, that ability to really understand what you're feeling, like to really tap into that body awareness too. like, you know, why does my stomach feel that way? Is that, is that fear? You know, where, where am I feeling the discomfort in my chest and acknowledging it rather than repressing it? Because repression is then where things really start to come out in physical symptoms or reactivity to our kids or, and obviously I'll say this as a clinician, I'm so open to, you know, I think getting professional support or having a therapist or a coach or a guide or a group is so essential when we're parents doing it alone, I think is chaos. It is chaos. Cause it's so complicated.
0: <laughs> it is so many blind spots, right? Like we care so much and we have so many blind spots. Motion. So I kind of want to go there a little bit. Cause you can- sure, please. And I think, just as human beings, we're so scared to feel scared mm-hmm. to you know, sit in the pain or sit in the guilt or, or or the shame or whatever. yeah, and I would love it if you just talked about one, how allowing ourselves to feel those emotions is for our well-being, like how does mindfulness play into that? not avoiding and suppressing the tough ones, but having mm-hmm. it be our health or holistic health and as it relates to, to
1: Yeah, I think it starts with understanding that they're messages, you know, that when you feel guilt or when you feel pain, it's not a problem you need to solve. It's a message from your body, or it's an indicator of where you should go next or what's going on. Or, you know, for example, I always talk about how these fears that, or excuse me, these emotions that scare us the most, They pack the most punch. Like when you feel angry, you know that boundaries have been crossed, right? So like anger is essential to know your boundaries. And so if you don't have anger, how do you know what your boundaries are? If you feel disappointed, you recognize what something meant to you you're like, oh, I'm really disappointed about that. So I was more invested in that than I thought. Or if you feel sadness or grief, I'm I'm dealing with that right now. My mom passed away last month and grief just comes in and out and in and out. And I don't like it, but I also understand, of course it does. <laughs> like, you know, when you have an, a huge loss like that, like the expectation that you're going to get over something that's not, that's not the way we work. We are, our whole sense of self is based on connection to others. And when we feel, when we're afraid of disconnection, you know, that's a lot of times where shame comes in is where we feel like we are no longer worthy of connection or guilt is that we harmed a relationship. And so these, if we did not have these feelings, Hmm. how would we have messages about what to do next? For example, guilt tells me, I probably need to apologize to somebody. You know, shame tells me there's something old I need to look at. Why am I so afraid of this? Why do I feel terror here? Because shame to me feels like terror. Mm-hmm. Um, when I feel jealous or envy, I'm like, I think someone's doing something that I want to do too. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I see someone doing something and I'm like, well, eh, you know, they're not doing it as <laughs> well or whatever. Then I'm like, well, maybe that's something you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not doing it and you're just going to blame them. So I don't I think the. The thing that we maybe can get more comfortable with, and this is kind of a weird way to say it, but is discomfort. Yes. That not every feeling is comfortable, but it doesn't mean the feelings are wrong. Mm. They just are uncomfortable, but then they give us the solution with the feeling. You're angry, so your boundaries have been crossed. So you need to set some boundaries around this.
0: Mm. Yeah. We want to kill the messenger, right? Unless you listen to the message. Totally. Have you ever caught yourself wondering why you do the things you do? Like, why do you get so angry and yell at your kids when they're moving at a snail's pace in the morning? Or why is it so hard to relax when the house is a mess? If so, you've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Because here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. And over time, those defenses became a habit, and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is really actually often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There's five different personality patterns, and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategy that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what's actually blocking who you are. And the good news is that once you take the quiz and you learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and then live and parent as your true and authentic self. So click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two minute personality patterns quiz. Let's talk about mindfulness, because I feel like sometimes, especially as parents, moms in particular, I think we think mindfulness sometimes and we picture like, you know, sitting, sitting and, and, and meditating or something. And, or we're like, we, well, we just don't have time for that. And I would love for you to speak to it. Like what, what is mindfulness in parenting in particular? And then how do we incorporate it when we're doing all of the things
1: yeah. So there's actually two very different things. So there's mindfulness and then there's mindfulness practices, right? So I'm also a yoga teacher. So I, yoga is a big part of my life. I teach yoga to people and I teach yoga to kids too, because if they can do that early, well, it's so good for them. But not good for them in the way where if they do a yoga practice, then they're mindful people, because you can do yoga all day long. But if you're not in a space where you're like recognizing where you are and breathing and, you know, yoga is not and this, I know people debate me on this, but I don't think about it as a calorie burner. Yoga is an internal process of being able to be present with what is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you are in a pose, again, like we were talking about with emotions, it's not always comfortable, Mm -hmm. but can you breathe through it? Can you allow yourself to stay there Mm -hmm. and then move to the next thing? There's like a gentleness, a a very like a metaphorical fluidity to going from pose to pose just like we do in life of going of feeling to feeling and emotion to emotion without being super reactive hmm. so yoga or journaling or a retreat or meditation which i also love those are mindfulness practices where you're building muscles to be more mindful during the day. So if you are someone who meditates, but you're still super reactive to your kids or you're honking at people because you have road rage, then the meditation is, it, it's not taking, do you know what I mean? It's not embodied. Like so, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not, you're doing it, but you're not taking it as that we would say off the mat, you know, like there is a, The practice is not just that 10 minutes or that 20 minutes, which that can be amazing. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to create new neural pathways in your brain and to create new awarenesses in your body where you can take a breath before you say something to your kid, Mm -hmm. where you can have a question of, is that what I want to do right now before you make a choice? What you're really doing is creating space between a, you know, something, some kind of stimulus and then how you're going to react. You're just creating space between it. And why these practices of yoga or journaling or you know breathing are essential is that's how we then can do it in real time, which is the actual practice of mindfulness, recognizing where you are. So just I'll give an example because we're speaking in generalities. So if I'm with my kid and I'm with my two, because this comes up a lot, you know, I'm with my two-year-old kid and then my two-year-old hits another kid to get a toy. Right. And which is very common, by the way, anybody listening, they're really trying to figure out what can I do to get this toy? And they don't have all the adult understanding that we do about what that means. A lot of times parents will say, oh my gosh, I was so embarrassed. This happened. Now my kid's going to be a bully when they grow up. There's nothing mindful about that belief system because you're not in present time. What you are is you've already moved to when they're five, when they're 10, when they're 20, you already are putting so much pressure on either what happened before or what's going to happen next. Mm. Really, all you need to do in that space and time is you have an opportunity to talk to your two-year-old about there are other ways to get what they need. It's actually any kind of stressful thing like that is an open door to teach your kids something new because they don't learn through lecture. They learn through experience. Mm -hmm. So that even though it's uncomfortable, that's the door that's open. But Mm -hmm. you have to do your best to stay there. And not worry so much about tomorrow. And that's a, and we could take that with every age of a kid, think about all the things our kids do, but we just have
0: to stay with them. Wow. And also I think in that something that's hard to do or something I'm growing into also is disconnecting what they're doing from how good of a mom I am. (laughs) Like it's not always reflective, right? Cause I think sometimes that's what comes up and then we feel like we have to say these things or we catastrophize or whatever.
1: We do like every practice, you know, and that goes back to self awareness too, is that we really do culturally have this belief that if our kids act a certain way, then that is reflective of us. Right. And while I can understand that and someone could give me examples of where, well, you know, mom's not paying attention or whatever it may be. I'm not saying they're completely divorced. What I'm saying is that I have three daughters and they are completely different people and they speak completely differently. They have completely different ideas about what makes the world go round and they are in completely different activities. So <laughs> Even though I am here and they came from this house and they're, you know, their father is the same and all those things, they are their own people. Mm -hmm. My job is to support them in becoming who they are Mm -hmm. with an understanding of some societal awareness and, you know, respect for, you know, rules and laws and that kind of thing. Obviously there are boundaries and structures we have to teach our kids, but the choices they make are not all about me. like there's some narcissism in that. Like, I mean, it's not me. I didn't create them. They came through me. They're not, you know, the whole Gibran quote, you know, they came through me, but they're not of me. They are their own people. And I get to support them in becoming themselves, not in becoming who I hope they will be because that's my dreams. Mm. that's a self-awareness thing right there is if you're having kids and you're like I was a dancer so my kid's going to become a dancer I was a baseball player so my kid is that's that's projection that's that's putting your stuff on your kids now if they end up loving it great but they may have a million other dreams and our job is to follow their dreams not to put our dreams you know the the thing I always hear is I want my kid to play piano because I didn't play piano. Mm-hmm. And I, and I always say, well, then it's time for you to take piano lessons. Cause that's what you wanted. You take piano lessons. You can say to your kid, I'd like you to learn a musical instrument. You get to choose, yeah. but to say, I didn't do it. So I'm going to make my kid do it. That's just, that's not fair. And that creates a disconnection between you and the kid. Cause your kid is privy to that. Mm-hmm. They know it's your dream.
0: They do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so many things. It's so good. I'm like, where do I want to go? Because there's so much in that. So let's start here. Yeah. I think if someone wants to start with these, maybe it's a new practice of mindfulness, or maybe it's just a new awareness. I think sometimes we, we care so much and we want to do these things well. And when it's new, especially this inner critic can come up where we're just very hard on ourselves and then talk, talk to the moms listening a little bit about how important Mm self-compassion is to being mindful and the parenting journey.
1: You know, I was saying at the beginning about that self-awareness is the most important thing and self-compassion is like as close to that number one self-awareness as possible because self-awareness and self-compassion, you know, you've probably talked about on your show a lot. You know, if you have an understanding of Kristen Neff's research around self-compassion, it's been replicated and replicated and replicated. So this is not just something that Michelle and I are telling everybody because it feels good. Mm-hmm. It's because we know that it's a lot more effective than self-discipline, than than self-esteem even, than, than mm-hmm. self-monitoring, than worrying, than all these things that we've, te- we've taught ourselves or that we have learned and that we're like passing on to our kids. It's not helpful. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't motivate them. Yeah. What really motivates someone is helping them understand what self-compassion is. And, you know, just a really quick synopsis is that it's three things. It's the ability to practice self-kindness, which is like how you would treat a friend, the ability to understand common humanity, which is whatever you're feeling, you know, everybody else has felt too. You're not alone. And then mindfulness, which is stay here. And I know a lot of people have different descriptions of what mindfulness is. It's an elusive word, just like Zen is an elusive word. But really just think about it as pay attention, Mm -hmm. pay attention to now, just do now, try to get yourself out of yesterday. And, you know, because mindfulness is here, right? Right. And so just pay attention to what's going on now. So if you can, so self-compassion is the ability to do those three things, no matter what comes up, not to avoid guilt and shame. It's not about like, you're going to sidestep all the other emotions. It's so you can handle guilt. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so when guilt comes up, you, your tool is, yeah, I do feel guilty about this, but you know, I'm not the only one going through this. I have people who care about me. I have people I can ask for help. And I understand that this is just about today. This is not forever. They're really self-compassion, especially as a parent, especially as a mom, because we have been taught to be very self-shaming that everything's on our shoulders is. And again, I'm going to use the word again, the practice of self-compassion, because dude, it does not stick. You have <laughs> to do it again and again, and you really have to make like, I, it's funny. My husband just had, in, and I'm at his desk right now, and. He's going through a self-compassion workbook right now because he's so hard on himself that he's actually going through with a couple of friends how to practice self-compassion during the week. And so my point is, is that's a worthy endeavor. Like just like mindfulness is a practice with meditation and, you know, breathing and yoga, self-compassion is also a practice, something that you have to be intentional about and that decreases so much, doesn't get rid of, but it decreases so much of the other feelings of overwhelm and stress and burden and discomfort. It's yeah. a it's an antidote, you know, it it doesn't solve it all, but it certainly helps.
0: Yeah, it's a powerful tool. Powerful tool. And it makes so it makes our load so much lighter, right? Because it's, yes. it's you know, that less pressure. Yeah. I love thinking about it like a tool. And I I wonder when we feel triggered and as we start to become more aware, you know, maybe six months ago, it was just like, I'm angry. But now as our awareness grows, it's like, okay, I'm aware that there's something under the surface here that was triggered or that was, you know, poked and whatever's going on here. What are some of the like tools to regulate that you like to teach parents? Like when that trigger comes up or you're feeling like I'm about to You know, lose it on my kids or snap at my husband or something. What have you found to be some of the effective ways we can help ourselves to regulate so that we are in a place where it feels like we're being mindful and we're able to be aware?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of split it in two parts. So there is the part where when you're starting to recognize what does trigger you, or like you said, there's something under it, Mm -hmm. there's that those are again arrows pointing somewhere like something lives under here some belief system that you haven't looked at a trauma that you experienced a a, a running tape in your head that is not helpful now it may and here's the thing that's interesting talk about self compassion Sometimes what we figure out about the stories or beliefs that we carry in our body and our mind is that they were super helpful to us when we were little. Like it could have been the only way we were able to survive in our family or survive in school or in the sport we were in or whatever. It maybe was a defense mechanism that was required at the time. But now that we're older and we're raising our own kids, it's not effective anymore. It's actually keeping us from connecting. It's Mm -hmm. keeping us separate. Or it's like these defense mechanisms are so outdated. They're like for a 20-year-old. Right. You know, and so that's one half of it where the willingness to do the work and to question not to be hard on yourself, to recognize this doesn't work anymore. It worked 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Right now, I need to leave this behind or put it in the back seat. You can never really get rid of these parts of yourselves. You just have to kind of change places and say, I'm in charge now. Yeah. And then. So that's one part of it that you have to be willing to work on what's going on internally. But then when you're, you know, working through that and you are reactive or, you know, you're going to be reactive, you know, there are, there's, and I can only speak about myself or, you know, the people that I, what I kind of share with the people I work with is my big thing is breathing and humor. These are the, the two um, things. And when I say breathing, I don't mean that I'm like, I must do pranayama <laughs> to like, you know, like we get so like hoity about these things. I don't. I don't care what you call it. It's like the ability to my daughter says something and it's so annoying or she what she's saying is blaming me for something that's not my fault, you know, all the things our kids do. Yep. And for me to stop for a second and to literally just breathe like okay And I make then a choice to respond rather than react because react and response are not the same reaction is I'm coming at you with my emotion Response is I'm feeling all the emotion, but I'm going to choose a different word or I'm going to say, okay, you know, (laughs) sometimes I don't really even say anything back. I'm like, okay, they're blaming me right now. Right. And then humor is my husband and I, that's kind of why we like doing Zen parenting because we talk about very serious things. But I think even in serious things, you need humor. I think that the ability to say, you know, what your kid is blaming you for something to be like, yeah, I suck, you know, (laughs) like, man, you are so right. I totally suck. And then you shift a dynamic of that, like tense, you know, like, oh, who's to blame into kind of like, okay, now we can talk about it. I always kind of view humor as like just the best tension breaker A lot of my clients have told me that's not a part of their personality and it doesn't work. It's not as natural. So Mm -hmm. I don't mean to imply that everyone has to use humor because you don't want to be a smart aleck. You don't want to be on making fun or, of people, yeah. right? I don't, I don't laugh at people's expense. Mm-hmm. What I do is laugh at the situation, or I use myself. And because we got to be careful, because sometimes, especially in things like text, because humor does not translate in text sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But those are my favorites. I mean, it just the ability, however you can create space. Yeah. You know, that's just space between how you respond.
0: I love that. I think humor is one of the most underrated parenting tools. (laughs) I I did a whole podcast episode about it because I just do. I, I think it's underrated. And when you bring up about your kids just saying things and then deciding to respond with humor, yesterday I drive my girls to their dance class and my daughter, who just turned six last week, so a very new six year old, was just losing her mind because. She wanted me to spell the word gift and she was convinced there were two vowels in it, like things that six-year-olds write. And it's like, it was so irritating to me for some reason because she was losing her mind. And I did in that moment. I just, I did exactly what you're saying. I took a deep breath and then I found a way to, you know, make a joke that was okay with her, but it did, it shifted the whole atmosphere. Like she was about to just go on full meltdown mode at the end of a long day over something that seemed to me to be so trivial, but it was an opportunity to shift it. And what I love about humor, especially when it's used in love and appropriately like that, is that what it's doing is it's you're connecting with your kids in a different way. And I want you to speak a little bit about the power of connection, because I think sometimes our kids don't behave. And I'm saying that in air quotes, like we think (laughs) they should. Right. And it's like, I'm going to discipline or I'm going to like time out or whatever your go-to is. But so often it's just like, if we just connect, we're going to see so much change.
1: Yeah. And, and isn't that, you know, and it's kind of, we have to back up again because isn't that the goal of any relationship? Like the thing about parenting is it's really just universal principles. Like there really is no difference in, obviously there's a differentiation of power and I get that, but the the tools that we're using are really not any different than what we're using in partnership or in work or whatever, which is how do we best know people? How do we connect to them? What, you know, the, the three people, the three things that everybody wants are, you know, see me, Hear me, understand me, or value me. You can say it however you want. Like, see me, you know, understand me, hear me. And connection is built on doing those things. So, if we go into parenting believing that our job is to make our children see the world the way we do, to do what we say, to follow everything we say, to be good, you know, soldiers in this, in our family, then we are going to run into a lot of defense mechanisms. We're going to run into a lot of power struggle. We're going to run into a lot of disconnection and it happens to the best of us. We're always going to have moments like that. But if we think our goal is to break our kids into being more like who we think they should be, they're not going to want to come home for Thanksgiving. Do you know what I mean? They're going to be like, this is not a safe. And when I use the word safe space, I don't mean that in a PC way. I mean like they don't really, they won't really enjoy who they are in our home because who we expect them to be is different than who they are. Right. So our goal as parents is to get to know our kids and what helps them thrive, whatever that means, if it be in communication. Like, you know, my kid, like simple things, like my daughters, when they were young, they could not stand seams in socks. Mm-hmm. They they had a sensitivity now. to seams. And so every morning I was struggling putting on their shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Because the seam, the seam, mom, I can't stand the seam. So I finally got them diabetic socks. I'm like, if you don't like seams, let's not have socks with seams. Yeah. And a lot of parents will say, but I shouldn't have to do that. Why? Right. Why shouldn't we have to help people and support people? And again, when I'm saying that, I'm saying that within reason. I'm not saying if they say they want ice cream for dinner, you do it. I'm right. saying that it's okay to acknowledge where people need a little more support yeah. and to show up for them that way, because not only does that decrease those power struggles, but they see you as a ally. Yes. Like somebody who's like, "Oh, mom got me some socks that actually do work. Thank you." You know, like kids have the capability to be grateful and thankful and connected, but not if somebody is yelling at them all the time. They they love is not because I'm your mom you love me. Mm-hmm. Love is somebody who's got my back, someone who sees me, someone who values me. And if you do have more than one child, you really have to pay attention to that because they're not the same. And if you think that your second child or your third child should act the way your first child does, you're going to run into a lot of disconnection there too. And unfortunately, you're going to create a lot of sibling challenges because they will blame each other for what the parent does not see in each kid. So this gets really, as you can see, it gets kind of heavy and it gets kind of like layered. But I think that if we just stick with the question of, is connection the most important thing? That's my goal every day with my daughters is listening to what they're saying, staying curious about what they need and doing my best to show up in a way where I'm relating to them. I hear what you're saying Yeah. within, you know, cause I always have to make sure everybody understands in our house. We have structure in our house. We have expectation and boundaries. There are things that have to happen. You go to school, you get up in the morning, you do get dressed. So all those things are set, but then inside of that structure and boundaries, that's where they have a lot of room to be themselves. Cause that's what we want. That's what every human being wants. Do you value me for who who I am? Mm -hmm. Not for my output and what I do to make you proud, but for who I am as a human being.
0: That's the freedom that's available within boundaries, right? right? Like, so yes, The boundaries create, think about it as like a,
1: you know, like a a house, you know, like a structure, the boundaries in the structure. And then inside that house, there's so much room to decorate and grow and thrive. And, but if there were no walls, you'd be like, I don't even know where this begins and this ends. So both are
0: essential. Yes. Yes. Oh, such good teaching. Okay. I want to, you mentioned a word and I want to talk about it before we end today. Yeah, sure. Curiosity. Yeah. So powerful. I always like in our home, we're always like curiosity over judgment. And my husband and I say it to each other when we're tempted to like, you know, put something on our parents or put something on, you know, a friend of ours or whatever. We're always like, okay, curiosity over judgment. Let me, let me try to imagine what's going on there. Let me ask. And I think in parenting, that's such a beautiful paradigm also. And so many times when I don't take that route and I'll just be like, you know, some whatever why did you say that to your sister and she's like that's not even what I said that's not even what I meant and I'm like ah I missed it I should have asked I should have clarified I should have given her that opportunity and I know that's something that you teach on just curiosity so tell us a little bit about the power of curiosity and when it's you know an opportunity for us to to maybe move in a new way or have a new pattern right you were talking about patterns
1: Yeah. You know, curiosity is kind of the thing that ties everything we've talked about together. You know, it necessitates every single thing we have discussed. So curiosity is, as you said, you use the word is it's, I don't know if it's quite exact opposite of judgment, but it's an, uh, it's an option to to judgment, which is let me, let me get information from everyone in front of me, rather than assume that I already know, because we, assume we already know how people are acting because of our history, Mm -hmm. because of our pain, because of our trauma, because of how we see the world. I always say, I always tell parents, like, think about you as like someone who wears certain glasses on the world and that's how you see everything. So if you grew up and you did grow up in a, in a family that was difficult, or you were assaulted in some way, or you did lose something of significance, you know, if you had trauma, your glasses might be a little more fearful, a little more worried that you're being manipulated, a little more concerned that people don't have your good intentions. So that is just, it doesn't make you defective. It's, they're just glasses that you're being more thoughtful because of your experiences. And we can also go to the other extreme, which is somebody who maybe has gone through life and really hasn't had a lot happen to them. They're sometimes can be really naive and gullible, you know, a kid will say, Oh, no, no, I-, I wasn't drinking. I just was carrying this bottle around for somebody. And the parents <laughs> like, Oh, okay, good. You know, so there's this place in between of being having your feet on the ground and by being realistic, but also not looking at everything with this sense of everybody's trying to screw me over. You know, Um, I think when our kids do something, haven't, you know, hurt, you know, sometimes they're yelling at each other or they they make a choice that we don't think is a great choice or whatever it may be. The only way to really get to know them is to be curious about, and again, this is so important, Michelle, is how we're asking, right? Because yeah. curiosity can, we can say, but I was curious. Why would you do that? Who do you think you are? All the shame why, blended with All that. the shame, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the question I always hear when I'm in the grocery store and there's kids in the cart, people will be like, um, why would you do that? Why would you? And a kid doesn't have an answer to that question. Really, all that saying is what what's wrong with, you, wrong with you? You know, and sometimes even that sentence is said. Mm-hmm. So curiosity necessitates talk about mindfulness, a sense of calm mm-hmm. to ask the question and to truly be curious you know there's a the saying about the you know the empty cup that if we show up to a conversation and our cup is already filled with tea or water there's no space for the new information right so we really have to kind of come in and at least pour out half the cup so we are open to what is what did this kid experience yeah. and the thing is is we can also they can tell us like you know you said you know you're talking to your daughters and maybe one hit the other or took something from the other and the story they tell us, we may not love it. They may say something like, well, I thought it was mine. You know, I thought it was my turn, but it continues that conversation of tell me why you thought it was your turn. And you may find out as they continue going that they had made an agreement two days before that she was going to get the toy all day today. And the other one's not adhering to the agreement. And we don't know the inner world of our kids are all the time. Do you know what I mean? We just have this perspective from the outside of what looks right or wrong to us. And we're not with them all the time in their room. We're not with them all the time at school. They have a whole world that we don't know about. And sometimes the reason they do things is genius. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And we're like, oh my God, you guys figure that out on yourself without all my intervention. You know, there's some humility in this, right? We have to be willing to actually see can they do this themselves and we're just kind of moderating monitoring rather than laying down a punishment or a, or a consequence because a kid raised their voice mm-hmm. there's usually a story in there and that you know and so i'm going to bring connection into this if you do that with your children when they're little and they learn that that's how you manage challenges or problems or dis, you know disagreements that becomes family culture Yes, That's how they talk to you. Mm-hmm. Mom, you didn't pick me up today. Tell me what was going on versus you didn't pick me up. Oh, like you're teaching your kids how to manage conflict by how you manage conflict. And if you are quick to blame, disregard, shut them up, whatever, that's how they will talk to you. Yeah. Not because they're disrespectful kids, but because you've taught them to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, my my favorite that I say to parents is, you know, cause they'll say, I just want my kid to be kind, but then they'll yell at them to be kind. I'm like that, that's, that's, that doesn't work. Confusing. Yeah. yeah. That's so confusing. So we, the way that we respond again, I'll just reiterate that last sentence. The way that we respond to conflict is how our children learn to respond to conflict. So curiosity is like stage one and sometimes it's all you need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes yeah. just the questions resolve the conflict. Yeah but I do, I do this with Todd too. Sometimes he, you know, he, 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 said he was gonna be home at 10 and he wasn't or whatever it may be. And, or I needed him or whatever. And my first question is, tell me, tell me about what was going on before I jump to you're the worst person alive,
0: you know? <laughs> right. Oh, so much wisdom. I love this. I, I feel so, I, I feel like I learned so much. I feel so encouraged. It's been one of my favorite interviews. So just thank you. Yeah. Thank you for just sharing this, all the perspective and the invitations to kind of shift how we see things and opportunities to do things just in a more mindful way. Yes. Really beautiful. Okay. So for the people listening who like myself want more, more Kathy, yes. <laughs> where do they find you?
1: Okay. So the best place to go is ZenParentingRadio.com because everything we do is there. But, you know, just like you, my podcast or our podcast, and I, Zen Parenting Radio, it's on every app you know, or, you know, it's on Spotify and it's on Apple and it's everywhere. And so, you know, and then like I said, there's a lot of episodes. So there's plenty of places to go there. And then... We have, you know, we have a something called Team Zen, which is our virtual community. And if you really, really wanted to get engaged with these kind of conversations or have people from all over the world who are doing the same, you know, you can find that group on ZenParentingRadio.com. And, you know, there, there's, we do a conference every year in Chicago. We have so much. So, any, from the podcast to the community to our writing,
0: just jump on
1: over and you can find us there.
0: Yes, absolutely. We will link that for all of you in the show notes. So, Kathy, just thanks again for your time. Thanks for sharing yeah. your wisdom with us. I'm going to continue to lean in as my children approach their teenage years, because I feel like so much of what you teach is how I want to impart to them in those years. So grateful for you. Grateful for the mom, the wife you are, and the teacher you are. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Thank you Michelle. This was lovely. I love this conversation.
1: If you love mommy's polygraph leave a review.
0: Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegroser.com, where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.